I'm Al John Go, podcaster and producer of the Disney List, Skull Rock Podcast, and Dining at Disney. When you're creating content, podcasts, webcasting, live streaming, or wanting to step up your video conference calls, you need quality gear and accessories. That's why I use Gator Frameworks in my studio. From professional broadcast boom arms and microphone stands, studio monitor speaker stands, ring light kits, headphone holders, elite furniture studio desks, and acoustic wall treatments, Gator Frameworks has you covered. Gator is the leading brand of cases, stands, and support system solutions for music, pro AV, creative pro, IT, and general utility industries. They have over 1,000 different solutions made from vacuum-formed plastics, rational molded plastics, wood, sewn, and EVA materials. Leveraging their expertise in case design and manufacturing, Gator has a complete OEM division that works with leading companies around the world to engineer and create custom cases for original equipment manufacturers. For more information, visit GatorFrameworks.com. Product provided in exchange for promotional consideration. It's Al John here from the Disney List Podcast, wishing you a happy holidays. Kristen and I have been just swamped with family, and we are taking this weekend off to enjoy the remainder of our weekend. But we hope uh, that you had a great Turkey Day holiday, had a great Black Friday. Hope you got all the chopping done. And if you didn't, feel free to use our Amazon links. That's what I'm saying. Support the show. And I tell you what we're going to do this week is going back into the time machine, if you will, to April 5th of 2016, where we broadcast this show on Sorcerer Radio. This is uh, when, when Chris and I were doing WDW Tiki Room podcast, and we covered C2E2 that year. And we were lucky enough to join John Ratzenberger for an awesome Pixar panel about being Pixar's Lucky Charm. He talks about being in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, talks about being on Cheers, and just is an awesome, awesome guy. So once again, enjoy this awesome interview from C2E2 from April of 2016, right here on the Disney list. We'll see you next week. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. The following is an original production of the Sorcerer Radio Network. Are you insane? Broadcasting live from Music City. Walt Disney. WDW Tiki Room, the show about all things Disney. Hey, Michael, me amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. So it is, and what darling people I have sitting under me. With Kristen and Al John. We better start the show rolling. Welcome to yet another edition of WW Tiki Room and our C2E2 special with Pixar's Lucky Charm. John Ratzenberger, he was there, and I attended the panel where he gave an extensive Q&A. Great, great actor, known for being Cliff Clavin on the show Cheers, one of my personal favorite characters from that show for so many years, and also in every Pixar film. Ham in Toy Story, P.T. Flea in A Bug's Life, The Abominable Snowman in Monsters, Inc., The Moonfish School in Finding Nemo, The uh, Underminer in The Incredibles, Mac the Truck in Cars, Mustafa and Ratatouille, John and Wally, Tom the Construction Worker in Up, Gordon the Garden, Brave, Fritz in Inside Out, and Earl the Velociraptor in The Good Dinosaur. Wow, that is a lot of stuff to his credit. And now you get to sit back and listen to the man himself, the lucky charm for Pixar, Mr. John Ratzenberger. Enjoy. Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com. Leave your show comments, requests, and discussion topics on the new WDW Tiki Room voicemail. Call 850-888-TIKI. That's 850-888-8454. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WDW Tiki Room. Ladies and gentlemen, we are currently holding for further traffic clearance. Check out Kristen's new website, MagicalJourneysVacations.com. For all your vacation needs, Disney, Universal, Cruise Lines, and more. Thank you for traveling with us. MagicalJourneysVacations.com. Have her book your magical vacation today. The WDW Tiki Room with Kristen and Al John. The radio show about everything Disney. Sorcerer Radio, SRSounds.com. We cannot have our main stage without an amazing host. 
And she has been amazing every single day on this stage, hosting each panel in the main room. You've seen her on Buffy. You've seen her on Bring It On. And she is the founder of GeekNation.com. Please give it up for your main stage hostess with the mostest. Give it up for Claire Kramer. Yeah. Keep it going. She's coming. Yeah. Uh. I love it. I love, I'm getting really used to your charismatic intros. I love them. Um, guys, welcome to Sunday at C2E2 2016. Sundays are like kind of one of my favorite days in the main stage area because as you can see, it's a little more casual. It's a little more relaxed and it's a little more intimate, which can be a very good thing when you're talking to entertainment icons like our next guest. You know, he really needs no introduction. So I'll tell you what, let's play the little video. You have, who has the video? Someone has a video? Cliff, good news for you. Both of your opponents came up with incorrect responses. And what that means is that even if you're wrong, as long as you didn't do anything foolish like wager everything, you're a cinch winner. Well, then we, uh, we don't have to see my answer, do we there, Alex? Listen, we, she hit the uh, tournament of champions. Cliff, we're running out of time, and we are going to have to take a look at your response. You wrote down, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? No, I'm sorry, that too is wrong. The correct response is, what were the real names of Cary Grant, Tony Curtis, and Joan Crawford? Be that as it may, Alex, those people have never been in my kitchen. Well, I'm sure they haven't, but obviously that's not what we were going for when we wrote up that clue. Obvious to who? If it's all right, you don't have to worry. Unless you risk more than $21,600, you will be the new Jeopardy! champion. So let's take a look and see what your wager was. You bet 22,000 big ones, which takes you down to zero. You bet it all. Cliff, why would you do something like that? It's because I knew that those people had never been in my kitchen. You can ask them. Come on, Tony Curtis is still alive. Your Highness, there's nothing more we can do tonight. The shield doors must be closed. You know... Postal Carrier is pretty much the Indiana Jones of your uh, civil servants. <laughs> Just as Indy faces off a pit of rattlesnakes or a sewer full of rats, I have to daily, mind you, trade wits with the Flanagan's dog. Hey, hey, you like impressions? Get ready for pork chef! Hey, morning, Mr. Fredrickson. Need any help there? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, tell your boss over there that you boys are ruining our house. Well, just to let you know, uh, my boss will be happy to take this old place off your hands and uh, for double his last offer. What do you say to that? Uh, take that as a no, then. Hey, drink the bus. Here, take the cup. Hey, take the cup. Please remain stationary. A service bot will be here to assist you momentarily. Stewards! Hello! Please remain Help. stationary. A service bot will be here to assist you momentarily. What's that? What's going on? Uh, John? What's going on down there? Is mom losing her marbles? Well, obviously, she wanted to have the party before the move. There goes my magic act! Ah! Uh, Alright, nobody look till I get my cork back in. Uh, do you know what you would like to see me? <laughs> yes, I think I do. I thought we could search in style. Excuse me, ladies. Does anyone know where we might find the Al of Al's Toy Barn? I can help. <laughs> I'm Tour Guide Barbie. 
Please keep your hands, arms, and accessories inside the car and no flash photography. Thank you. I'm a marriage butt. I'm a marriage butt. I'm a marriage butt. Make room for the single fellas. Can you believe that? Do I look abominable to you? Why can't they call me the adorable snowman or, or the agreeable snowman for crying out loud? I'm a nice guy. Snowball? <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. It's Lemon. Oh, I seriously doubt he's getting this kind of mileage. Wait a minute here. They're just using the same actor over and over. What kind of a cut-rate production is this? Everything you've got Taking a break from all your worries Sure would help a lot Hi everybody Wouldn't you like to get away Hi Hi Sometimes you wanna go You can have a seat right here I'm like First of all, welcome Um, Hey, I wanted to say how nice you look <laughs> really, because t- it's nice when people take the time to dress up, and especially if you're, you know, meeting people for the first time. Well, I think you look dapper yourself. I mean, oh, I this lo- whole thing. The oh. the suit is amazing. I'm so kind of choked up. I first of all, just seeing all those clips with your performances. I'm I've seen each of those movies ten times. I mean, I I absolutely loved you on Cheers. You have a way of bringing such realism and such like a genuine quality to your characters. I just want to say you're an amazing actor. So thank you for thank spending you. this time well, with it's, I, I think um, if, if there's a secret to that, it's because I didn't go to acting school. So. <laughs> well, I do want to talk about that um, because I really find it interesting how you got into the business. I mean, you were actually, you were, I mean, you were at Woodstock, but not as an artist, right? You were there. Can you tell everyone? I, uh, I, I was a journeyman carpenter at that time of my life, uh, going through New England, building houses and whatever else, you know, it needed nails pounded into it. And um, I, I, was, I was actually building a house for a guy in... Uh, Bearsville, New York, which is actually right next to the town of Woodstock. And then the word in town was that there's some kind of a music thing. Just this that, little music thing. They need, uh, they need a crew to build the stage and this and that. So I went down and I stood in line and they said, uh, well, good. You say, you carpenter, great. We need you. And they said, uh, can you drive a tractor? I said, oh, yeah, sure. I'd never driven a tractor in my life. <laughs> and so I said, all right, here's the keys. Uh, take that one. Said, okay. So I go, I start it up, and everybody's watching. I'm thinking, oh, I, it's kind of, you know, common sense thing. And so I, I started, and I went, Vroom! and then went, whoop, and I, and I almost tipped it over backwards. <laughs> but then I bounced it and carried on, and, and, and that was my first time driving a tractor. But yeah, it was a Woodstock. Well, you obviously have that um, adaptive spirit of being able to adapt to new situations and being able no, to... You, you never say you can't. Yeah. If somebody says, can you do a, ride a bicycle down the stairway? So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's money at stake, absolutely. Sure. So, <laughs> so, when you actually, here's what I find really interesting. When you made the transition into acting and you, and you went in for Cheers, the part of Cliff didn't actually exist yet. Ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, tell me how your um, sort of experience with the audition and then how you pitched the character and how you helped basically create him from inception. Well, I had, prior to walking into that room, I had spent 10 years in Europe, traveled through Europe, uh, doing improvised comedy with a fellow named Ray Hassett. And Ray went off uh, later on and became a policeman. A detective uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, and I stayed in show business, and uh, I started writing comedies for the BBC and this and that. Came to Los Angeles on a writing job, and then I finished that, and somebody mentioned this, cheers. They said, hey, there's an audition going on for uh, a show set at a bar in Boston. They said, well, you want to go in on it? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, so I went in, and again, I, I never, 
up until that point in my life, never auditioned for anything because all the jobs I got in Europe was based on my stage shows. Right. And they said, oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, so it, it, it builds, you know, you build your network. And uh, so I went in and did a terrible job because they gave me the piece of paper. And I thought, oh, this is nice. They want me to, to read about what to chat about. And uh, so I went in and, and uh, I did a horrible job. It was embarrassing. So all my dignity was shattered on the carpet. And I was walking out the door, I said, do you have a bar know-it-all? Because that was my, the writer part of me took over, because I wanted to see if, uh, the, you know, because every bar's got a know-it-all in New England. So I, they said, what are you talking about? So I just improvised, whatever. I said, you know, the original uh, coffee table was a tree stump. Uh, it was made out of oak, it was a, you know, and I just, this stuff, I just wanted to get them to laugh enough so I could escape with my dignity. It worked. And that's all it was, really. And I was, two days later, I was packing to go back home, which was London, and uh, I got the call. They want to try the character out for seven episodes. So, oh, sure, okay, yeah, good. And he was, a, he was a security guard first, right? That was my suggestion. Okay. I said, uh, it should be a security guard. They said, it should be a mailman because a mailman can bring in more information. Security guard, you're guarding the same building every night. There's not a lot of stories to tell. But a mailman, you're all over the place. And because I said, I said, as long as it's a character that has keys dangling from his belt. Because that was one of the, 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 the key, no pun in, well the pun is intended. <laughs> one of the key elements is having keys because that type of person, and try this in real life, you ever see anybody with keys dangling, they're basically showing the world how much they know. Because every key represents something that they have knowledge of. So they say, oh, this is how, yeah, right, no, you know, this is, this is a key to uh, my bicycle, and, this is, and it represents knowledge, and if you see somebody like that, and you ask them any question in the world, they will never say, I don't know. That is genius. They will always give you an answer. It's probably the wrong answer, <laughs> but they will, they will always answer you. They will never say they don't know. That's a great little thing to grasp onto for creating a character, and you're so right about it. Now that I think about that, everyone with right. a bunch of keys is a know-it-all. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's true. It, but they're proud of their knowledge and, and their, their place in and the hierarchy of knowledge and things that, that nobody else knows about. We saw a clip from the Jeopardy episode. Was that your idea? Did you pitch that storyline to, to the writers? No, no, I, uh, I improvised a lot of that, but no, no, that was uh, written as, as that. I usually throw in my own little uh, spices from time to time. Uh -huh. I think that your experience, Cliff's experience in the Jeopardy episode actually became a uh, coin phrase for not betting at all in Jeopardy. I can't remember what it's exactly called. Maybe someone else knows. But um, so you you termed, you coined a Jeopardy term as well. So. Well, that's goes. nice to know. Thank you. It's <laughs> or not quite did. Mount Rushmore, but yeah. it's good. <laughs> one more thing about the character Cliff. Well, there's several other things. But one thing that I found really interesting was the white socks were a choice made by you. Could you tell everyone what that was a tribute to? Yeah, that was, uh, you really did your homework. I like you. It's really nice, jeez. <laughs> All dressed up and beautiful and smart. I, are, you, are you single? <laughs> Gentlemen, it's, this is a catch here. You are flattering me. Stop. But, Tell uh, us about the socks. See, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, there's, there was a, uh, when I was in England and, and working there, I came upon a, a, a movie that I saw that some, and it was uh, Mr. Hulot's Holiday and written and starring and directed by Jacques Tati. Now, you, most of you have probably never heard of him, but he was a French uh, comedian and uh, funniest movie I'd ever seen. I mean, I was falling on the floor laughing so hard, but it's of a pace that of the 1950s, it's a little bit slower of a pace. You know, there's not a lot of bum, 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 bum. But if you sit there and watch it and don't get interrupted and just take your time, it is the funniest thing you've ever seen. 
It's a character, he could walk through a room and just cause, cause chaos, but all he did was walk through the room. That's all he does. And then the rest of every, you know, somebody else watches him and, and pours, you know, the drink down there and they stand up and it tips. It's, it's just beautifully done. So the, my white socks was a, my homage to Jacques Tati because his pants were, you know, this, like that. And, and, and so he could see the white socks. And later on, years, years later, I uh, met John Cleese, you know, Monty Python. And uh, I started talking, and we were talking about that. And Jacques Tati was his influence for the silly walks. Oh. Yeah, that was, that was uh, so Jacques Tati was, that's, that's where it came from. I love, I love little like um, hidden Easter eggs like that. And we'll talk about more Easter eggs in a minute, but let's talk about your relationship with Pixar. You are, you've been in every single Pixar movie. Yeah. You're their lucky charm. Yeah, and now I can see why, because you're so endearing. I, 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 think, I, I, I always thought it was a clerical error. Because no. they kept calling me, I think, do they know I was in the other one? And I'm not saying a thing, just keep it. Well, there's a funny, there's a funny little Easter egg scene like that. In is it Cars, two or one? Yes, uh, Cars two. Cars two, where at the end your character is watching a clip of all the other Pixar movies, and and you're like, wait, that's in the drive-in theater, yeah. Yeah, in the drive-in scene, and and his character says, wait, wait that's the same actor over and over again. What kind of a low-rent production is this? Yeah, what what kind of cut-rate production is this? <laughs> That's it. They're using the same character over and over again. <laughs> but prior to that, when Mac is watching it, uh, you know, and, and, and one of my characters comes out and goes, Oh, that man's a really accomplished voice thesbian. <laughs> it, it keeps on giving compliments until, wait a second. But that was something that they did. I, I didn't really know that they, because even when I recorded it, uh, John sort of explained it to me but I really didn't quite understand it. Yeah, they didn't have the scene cut together yet. So do you have a favorite Pixar movie? Of course, I've read what you've said before, but I'm curious now if you have, if you have a favorite. I, you know, it's, it's almost like every one becomes, knocks the other one out of the top for me. But my favorite character has always been P.T. Flea. Yeah. Uh, it just cracks me up. The guy, he just, he's so avaricious. The, 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 he'll sell his grandmother for a nickel. <laughs> Just whatever he could do to make a buck, you know. <laughs> and, um, but I think, you know, but then you have movies like Up, you know, where, you know, the first 10 minutes you're crying your eyes out. And it's, it's, it's like Pixar is the only film studio in the world that you can go and pitch a story like that. You know, because imagine going into any other, because you know how it all works mm -hmm. there going into Paramount or Warner Brothers or anybody else say, hey, listen, I got a great idea for a movie. It's this 80-year-old guy attaches balloons to his house and he floats away to Argentina with a Korean Cub Scout. Pixar's like, let's do it. They, yeah, but any other studio, they would have called security. <laughs> But that's they don't it, get out of here. Yeah. Isn't that the great thing about animation and voiceover work versus, you know, um, on camera human characters, I guess, is you have that ability to explore these different worlds. How is the preparation different for your Pixar characters um, versus someone like Cliff? Preparation? Well, <laughs> I think you're answering my question. You, you're, you're inspired. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, well, the way we prepare for these... Actually, it reminds me of something funny. George Went, who plays Norm, uh, on, on Cheers, we were sitting there once. Uh, I think he was, he was, you know, we were both, he was reading the magazine, I was reading the paper, and it was just kind of a little break time, and, and this guest actor was, you know, walking behind the bar and doing this, and, and I looked at him, I said, what are you doing? He says, well, well, I'm rehearsing. And I said, George, I said, did you hear what he said? <laughs> He's rehearsing. And we gave this guy such a hard time. <laughs> because we just kind of showed up and, I mean, you're sitting at a bar and your job is to talk at a bar. And there's not a lot of preparation, you know. <laughs> just, you know, I sit over there and I, what do I say? But it's, um, 
No, well, the only thing with animation is, is different from regular film is that all the action takes place in your head. So if you just run a mile, you've got to run that mile in your head and have your voice transmit that. It's kind of like a horror movie where you have to <gasps> scared different yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, we're just two minutes before you were drinking a cup of tea. Right. And then all of a sudden you're scared for your life. I love it. So Toy Story 4, are we going to see Ham in Toy Story 4? Yes, you will. Yay. Can I ask another question? That's are all we, I can say about that. Are we, we going to see Bonnie? I, Am I pushing my luck? I, I can't tell. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm super, I'm very, very excited for Toy Story 4. I think, I personally thought the franchise was done, so when they announced it, I was just elated, and I think I probably speak for all of us. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's so wonderful. I, I can't tell you what, what a gift it is to work with Pixar, because their standard is so high. See, I, I grew up in, in an America where it was like that. Everything, this, the educational system, everything was just right up there. Mm-hmm. And now things have slipped a little bit in different arenas, but Pixar stays right there. You talked about they're a great company to pitch stories to because they're so you know open and, and because of the medium, they can be really innovative. Do you have a story that you are thinking about, you know, pitching to them or, or making or something that you want to make? Uh, yeah, I'm always coming up with stories. I've got, it's, you know, uh, tons of them written and, and uh, sitcoms and this, that, and the other thing. But, um, no, they do such a good job. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, no, they're, they're doing fine. If they ever ask me or if I see that they're having problems, I go, you know, I, I have a story. But no, I, I'm just just fine. I, I love what I do, and I love our relationship uh, th- that we have. And I, I just, they're so creative. I mean, Pete Doctor, um, who just got the Academy Award for uh, Inside Out, about two years ago, three years ago, I went into the to do some recording, and there was Pete sitting in the hallway. People were coming in and bringing lunches and this and that, and he was just huddled on the floor with his back against the cinder block wall, and he was scribbling something. I said, Pete, what are you doing? Were they kick you out of your office? He goes, no, no, it's just, I, I, it's just, you know, I just had an idea, so, I, so he just sat down right there and started writing it. But that was uh, inside out. Wow. That's, that's where it started. It was probably longer ago, probably three or four years ago, but. I, and I just love the way they work and who they are. It's yeah. Just, yeah, they're so, anyway, they're just good friends now. They're, they're an amazing company, and I'm very glad you're their lucky charm. Um, I could talk all day to John, but I know you guys probably have some questions. If you want to line up in the aisles, there's can, two... Can, uh, can we turn on the house lights? Can we turn on the house lights? Because as far as I know, this guy is the only one in the audience. <laughs> I promise there's more people. Um, so, yeah, line up in the uh, aisles. I guess the, I guess the lighting guy went to lunch. We'll work on the lights. and. Oh, here it's coming a little bit. Let's start over here. Go ahead. Um, hi, I'm Corey from Iowa. And uh, this isn't a question, but I, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that my dad, his favorite Cheers was his favorite show, and Cliffy was his favorite character because he was also a mailman. And not to brag, but I knew the whole, you know, Cliff didn't exist. It was your idea thing. So, on on my dad's behalf, thank you for him. Well, on on our behalf, th- thank him for. Going through rain, snow, sleet, and hail, you know, to deliver the mail. And I, I think if he were here, he would have been delighted to see you, but then freaked out at the price. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing personal. It's called inflation. Thank you. you. Oh, good. You start to see some people now. Oh yeah. All right. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name's Alana, and I'm from Plainfield, Illinois. What's your name? Alana. Alana, hi. Hi. 
And being an improviser with Second City and also a writer for their training center, I just wanted to know from you, what are some of your pros and cons to improv over writing and vice versa? Well, improv has become, see, when I was doing it, we just called making stuff up. <laughs> because neither one of us had any background in acting. We really didn't know what it was about, mm -hmm. uh, me and my partner. So we would literally, on the way to the theater, all through Europe, we would see something in an alleyway and just pick it up and bring it to the theater, put it on the stage. And we would do an hour and a half show. We knew the beginning, middle, and the end. Mm -hmm. And everything else was just made up. And every single night it changed. The whole show changed. But we had the same beginning, same middle, and same end. And it's never been done before or since. And now I don't know what goes on at Second City or, or the Groundlings or anything, but improvisation, what it's become is everyone takes improvisation classes mm -hmm. and they put in their resume improvisation, improvisation. But the key to improvisation is really to shut up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a jazz combo, uh, if you're familiar with that. You know, you're all playing together. It's not just you out there showing everybody how smart you are. It's, you know, you do a little bit and you add to the story and then let the saxophone player do what he does and let the drummer do what they do. And, and so you're all a group. And, I, and that's kind of been forgotten. Because yeah. I see Saturday Night Live, and I know a lot of them come out of improvisation. And it seems like everyone's just waiting for their shot. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, so I think the key, if that, if that was your question, the key to improvisation is listen to what the other guy says. Mm -hmm. Don't just be, have that in your head of like, OK, OK, when's it, when is it my turn? Really listen to what they say. And just use that as a key. I find that it's like a, being on a trapeze. Just grab the ring, and here's the other ring, and the other ring. Because you're certainly in, a, in a, a situation where you could fail, but that's the exciting part of it. That's right. Second City started here in Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's George went a lot of the cheers. George and Shelley were out of Second City. And, and all that, but uh, I think that, and also the key to improvisation for me and my partner Ray is uh, read a lot. Yeah. So we were both newspaper fanatics and anything that was going on in the world. And then not just, and, and now sometimes it's become just popular musicians or what's on TV. But if you have knowledge of, you know, what the Rock of Gibraltar is. You know, and the monkeys on the rock of Gibraltar, and they, it's just little things like that. If you, you you add more, you have more spice, more intellectual spice to add to your your improv. So I, that's what I would always suggest: just read and travel. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was a, great a that was a long explanation, but <laughs> thank you. Hi. Hi. I'm Lindsay. I'm from Wakanda, Illinois. Um, Is that an Indian name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you had mentioned earlier that like, at one point you could be sipping tea and then the next be freaking out for your character. So what's if there is a hardest part about being a voice actor and like recording your voice for an animated film? There, it's, it, there's no heavy lifting involved. So it's really not really hard, I don't think. I think people kind of make that up because they feel guilty because it's so easy. <laughs> you know, when they go on t talk shows, they say, oh yeah, oh, the vo do voice acting is so difficult. I, acting is not difficult. <laughs> Loading cement bags on railroad cars is difficult. <laughs> That's a hard job. But acting, it's, it's because my take on it is just, just have fun. Just you know, walk in and say, God, am I blessed. How lucky am I that I get to sit at a bar, crack jokes, and somebody pays me for it. <laughs> I, 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 to this day, I can't get over it. I've been doing it 40 years. But because I had all those other jobs, you know, of, of actually where you get up early in the morning and you, like a deckhand on an oyster boat. I, that's... Oh, it was very romantic going out the first day, but oh, oh boy. <laughs> you, you come home and you're so tired, you just collapse in a bed fully clothed. And you get up in the morning, same clothes, brush your teeth and go out the door and back on the ship. 
So when I, when I, anytime anything happens on a, on a movie set or animation, I think, oh, this is kind of hard. And I always remember those jobs, and I think, nah, this isn't hard. No, this is fun. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, I, that's, I, everything goes on in your head, like, like I mentioned before. So it's not really that difficult. Thank you. Thank Raising you. kids is difficult. <laughs> yeah. That's hard. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, Al John Goh and Dave Bossert. Do you just love to learn more about the magic that embodies animated films, theme park attractions, and more? The all-encompassing universe created and produced by the genius of Walt Disney has spanned nearly 100 years and counting. From his earliest film endeavors with the Laughagram cartoons and the Alice comedies, to the creation of Mickey Mouse, to the first animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and then dreaming up Disneyland, Walt Disney continuously raised the creative bar, and today his company has carried on that tradition as a global entertainment juggernaut. I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, and author. And I'm Al John Go, musician, podcaster, and radio guy. Every week, Dave and I will explore the entertainment galaxy that is Disney with insightful conversation, stories, and special guests talking all things Disney. Listen to never-before-heard stories and behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and so much more from knowledgeable, insightful, and thought-provoking hosts and guests. Hear the latest news about Disney past, present, and future. Skull Rock Podcast is your go-to source for the magic we all love. Skull Rock Podcast. Visit SkullRockPodcast.com. Uh, my name is George. I'm from New York City. I don't really have a question for you. You got any any uh, answers? <laughs> I don't have meeting your life or anything like that. I, I just want to say you're one of the top actors in my list. Like you're up there with Denzel Washington and John Candy. Wow, you're one of the most incredible people I've ever seen. So wow, that's uh, that's you, just you, you to acknowledge you. Two of my favorites. I never expected to be grouped in with them. <laughs> But thank you. That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoy your work, all of it. Thank you. Do you have a favorite character of John's? John Candy? My favorite actually is Cliff because um, I actually know a Cliff. (laughs) And Cliff, you just made him so real. That's why, that's one of the reasons why, even with the uh, Toy Story character, you make the people and even the, the voiceovers you make it so real that people can identify it with it. And mm-hmm. people you. Know, know those people like they live right next door to you. It's, it's funny you should say that because the characters that I've done, I always base it on somebody I know. Yeah. Um, I can see that because it's, it's someone you actually know who's like, it's actually your family or your next door neighbor. It's people wow. who you actually know and love. You, you hit the nail right on the head. I, I've told this a lot of people. Cliff is based on um, the father of a friend of mine when I was you know, a kid growing up. And he was a, a local cop. And, uh, and, but he was really a horse's patootie. <laughs> and we'd even make fun of him when we were kids. Because he'd say to his, his son, Tom, 
He'd say, uh, all right, Tom, I want you to go down to the grocery store. Before you cross the street, look left, look right, look left, look right again. Cross safely and then go up to the counter and give the guy a dollar and take a loaf of Wonder Bread. He'll give you 38 cents in change. You'll get, get the change. You'll put it in your right pocket. You'll come back out of the store. You'll look left, right, left, right again. And we're standing there listening to the guy tell that. It weren't... <laughs> But that was the attitude. The, that, the that reason was, why characters like Cookie from Empire are so popular is because you know those people. <laughs> they, you actually know someone who's actually right. like that. And that's, yeah, they exist. That's how Cliff was to me growing up. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That, was a, that was a great. Thank you very much, question. George. Yes. Hi, I'm Mindy. I'm from Chicago. Um, we talk a lot about Pixar being part of so many people's childhoods and has such a place in a lot of kids' hearts. The question is, when you were a kid, what were the stories that you gravitated to? Was there a book or a cartoon or some story wow. that really had a place for you like Pixar has for so many people today? These are the best questions I've ever been asked, by the way. <laughs> it's a smart crowd here in Chicago. What a, what a literate group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because well, I'm done for the day. That's it. No more thinking. <laughs> the the I, one of the characters that struck me and actually was became part of my life, and I named a boat uh, after this character was uh, uh, Natty Bumpo. Natty Bumpo uh, was the given uh, Christian, the white name given to the character that Daniel Day Lewis played in Last of the Mohegans. Is James Fenimore Cooper's books. The Deerslayer, Last of the Mohegans, Hawkeye. And I was always fascinated as a kid. I'm, I don't know, what, seven, eight years old. And thinking, this guy doesn't know anybody. He just takes this musket and, and, and a bag of whatever they ate back then, tree bark, I don't know, <laughs> and went off in the woods. He doesn't have a map. He doesn't know where he's going, but he goes. And it really did affect me. And so even in my childhood, I did that. You know, I would just take off on my bicycle because I thought it was possible. Never told anybody where I was going. You know, and then the, the chain of the bicycle breaks and you're 10 miles from home. And you gotta be home before the streetlights go on. And so and I realized too that, okay, what would Natty Bumpo do? You know, the Hawkeye or Deerslayer. And then, well, you fix it, you figure it out. And it became really part of my life. So that, I think, more than anything, affected me. And even, uh, I, I, even when I went to London first, I had $5 in my pocket that I borrowed from somebody. <laughs> and, and I stayed 10 years and built a career. But again, it was that, uh, what a great question, because I don't really you know, think about it that much anymore. But uh, yeah, it was, it was literature, it was reading. And I still do the same thing. I just, I, I, I love a good book, but I'm of that generation. You know, the, the book, the book guys. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I would say, yeah. And I had a boat called Natty Bumpo. I named it Natty Bumpo. And then I realized if you haven't read James Fenimore Cooper, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> and it could mean something salacious. So I thought, eh, I'll change the name. So, but yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Thanks. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Hi there. Hey. I was wondering if you had any memories of when they changed Toy Story 2 from being a made-for-video movie to a theatrical movie that when it changed from Colin Brady to John Lasseter directing and that kind of thing. No, that's, uh, I just get the just call. Get the lines and, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, 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 you know, try to keep it simple. Okay. And just uh, I show up, do my job, and I go home. Yep. And and it seems to have worked. <laughs> Definitely. So. Yeah. And I'm glad they changed it around because otherwise, who knows where we would have been? But yeah, because I learned, you know, when I was an apprentice carpenter, not to stick your nose in where it doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> they'll throw you out physically. Sure. So, you know, I think there should be an addition over here. Get out of here. Yeah, but it's it's yeah. I I really don't have any. Was that Toy Story two? Toy Story two, yeah, yeah. is what happened. Yeah. 
It was supposed to be to go to video? They were talking about doing just a direct-to-video movie, and then uh, all of a sudden then they were like, wait, what are we doing? Oh, let's, that's right. Let's change it that's over. That's right. That's when uh, Disney woke up, I think. It, there was a little of that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Steve Jobs is still alive then, too. Yeah. So, so he had a, you know, a lot to do. I remember uh, talking to him, and I, you know, I keep thinking, God, I knew Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, what a great man. And... Like what we were talking about just before, the Natty Bumpo thing, because I've always been a tinkerer since, since day one. And it was the same thing with Steve Jobs. He became Steve Jobs by working on car engines with his dad. That's what formed Steve Jobs. It wasn't all of a sudden he discovered computers and the interweb or whatever it was. The, uh, uh, but he and Thomas Edison was the same. Leonardo da Vinci was the same. They all started when they were kids tinkering, making stuff. Sure. So, but anyway, and I said to Steve, I said, Steve, when you were sitting on your back porch picking your nose when you were a kid, did you ever think you would do something that affected the lives of every man, woman, and child on earth? They went, no. <laughs> so, but anyway, thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Sunny. I'm from Chicago. You say Sunny? Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, so I'm Arizon Cheers with my boyfriend on Netflix, and we loved it. And then I was talking to my parents about it, and I could actually like talk to them in depth about it because they watched it when it was airing. So I just wanted to know what it's like to have been part of a show, you know, back in like the 80s that future generations are back still getting into. Back in the old days when <laughs> televisions ran on steam. <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, back in the 80s, yeah, we we had to you know make our own costumes and <laughs> it was all that. But I'm sorry, you didn't finish the question. Oh, you know, it's, it's just what it's like having been part of a show that like future generations are now still getting into. It's it's even. being discovered again yeah. by you know kids of fans or mm -hmm. or people are passing it. I mean, it's one of those shows that is still relatable even even though it's a couple you know decades old <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> it's it's just it's so real I mean the characters were so real and the the situations were so relatable so I think that's kind of how's it feel to be multi-generational mm -hmm. yeah I, I sometimes give it a thought when I will see I love Lucy <laughs> yes. and I look at I love Lucy and I think I'm Fred Mertz <laughs> <laughs> you know it was carried the actor's name was William Frawley but he's he's long gone but there he is. You turn on that TV, and there he is. You know, getting upset with his wife Ethel, <laughs> and uh, it, it's. But it's that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. It's going to be there. It's, it's going to be there, which is a great thing for your grandkids and your ancestors, <laughs> your descendants, rather. You know, seven generations from now. Oh yeah, oh, yeah I'm related to him. <laughs> Thank you. That's a Thanks. great question. Thank you so much. And actually, John. Now, I have a follow-up question. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about Cheers and, and kind of the 80s shows was, it was the original crossover episodes. You know, you had, you had different characters going into different universes. You had, you know, St. Elsewhere characters coming onto Cheers. You had, um, you know, a lot of crossovers. Have you ever heard of the Tommy Westfall universe? The what? Okay, so. Tommy Westfall? Yes. From. Anybody? Does anyone, is anyone else familiar with this? Okay, it's fascinating. I'm just telling you because you're one of the original characters. Cliff is one of the, is one of the original characters. Basically, at the end of St. Elsewhere, the very last episode, season finale, Tommy is the character that's holding a snow globe and they kind of pull back and you, basically you realize all the seasons have taken place inside this autistic child's mind. Now since, the St. Elsewhere characters came over to Cheers and you interacted with them, you're now in the Tommy Westfall universe. And there's been, yeah. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about Inside Out? This is like, wow. <laughs> this is crazy. But, uh, you know, the shared character universes and that theory, I just thought that you should know you're one of the um, origin characters for that. Well, it's about time. Yeah. 
I agree. Well, thank you. And I'm you. glad a couple other people know about it. And I, I if you don't know, know about it, look it up because it's really interesting. That's like the Kevin Bacon say, six degrees of separation. It's better. It's that, way better. <laughs> but I, then it, it's I kind like of bacon, dis- though. It's kind of disturbing because there's like, I think there's close to 400 shows linked to it now. And it basically proves all these shows took place in someone's, imag- someone's mind of this yes, autistic that, child. That, but that, that gets to that, that thinking of, have you ever gone out in the desert late at night and you look at the stars? And I always have this, I get, I, I start getting, losing my balance because I think, how is it that this planet goes around the sun every single day? How does that work? But that's the same kind of thing. Yeah. And so, what, you know, what is infinity? And so I start getting lightheaded, so I, I'd rather not it's, think about it's it. It's a very long, dark rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, how does that work? I'm sorry. Hello. I'm Matt from Chicago. How are you? Hey, Matt. Uh, quick question for you. With all the cliffisms and little-known facts that you had uh, on Cheers, did the directors, uh, James Burroughs, anybody uh, ever give you the opportunity to say, all right, we need a little-known fact here, John. Can you come up with something? All the time. For the show? And, and, and I figured. And then oh, yeah, 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 give no. me your favorite one. Yeah, well, well, no, all the time, you know, uh, Jimmy Burroughs would say, hey, you know, fill in 30 seconds. It's all right. And so, okay, and accent. And one of my favorites was, I was there, George Went was here, and Paul Wilson was one of my favorite characters. Every time he came on the show, I, I asked him to come like this, and I was, and so and Jimmy said, action, I had a napkin and a pencil. I said, so that, gentlemen, is how the tractor seat was invented. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all, so he just needed that. And then when I just needed something opening, because when you say something like that, it, the audience fills in the rest of the story. Wow, what? You know, tractor seat? Who, who, how did that subject even come up? You know, so that's always have fun with. Just give the punchline and the audience will do the heavy lifting. But yeah, we used to do that all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Hey, John. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm from Chicago. Um, so, What's the favorite cast that you've worked with, um, or couple? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I, I, again, the, I've always been a, a partially history, and, and, they, and the cast that always impressed me on Cheers was when uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff came on the show. And here's Admiral uh, Bill Crawley, William Crawley. And he's an admiral, and he's the chair. He's one of the most powerful people on earth. And he had all his secret service with him. And there's a guy standing this far away, off camera, holding the the box with the nuclear codes. <laughs> and he was on our show. He was a guest on our show. And we had Tip O'Neill, who was uh, a speaker of the house at the time. And so these are the guys that impressed me. Just how, you know, in their lives, the choices they made, they're actually they're, they're the top dogs of the world. And they were so nice, they were so, uh, they were so kind and very affable and very approachable too, which I always thought was fascinating. And the other one uh, was Spanky McFarlane. Anybody know Spanky McFarlane? Yeah. There was the Little Rascals. Spanky was the little guy with the little cap. He started when he was five years old, but he was a guest on Cheers. And I loved talking to him, just of you know, his stories, because he was back in the day when all this started. You know, the, you know, the film and doing their own stunts and building their own props and things like that. So, well, those are guys. I, I like anything, anybody that had anything to do with real history. I always like, cause like, oh boy, this is somebody who lived it, somebody who was there. And when I was doing a bridge too far, um, I did a scene where we were crossing the Nijmegen, uh, the river for the Nijmegen Bridge. I was part of the 101st Airborne in the movie, and the producers actually had the real participants of that battle. They flew them in with their families, watching us film this very, very famous battle that they actually fought in. So that was a very, uh, very touching moment. What about in terms of a uh, Pixar movie? 
What's your favorite cast that you've worked with? Oh, I, I, uh, Don Rickles. I mean, that's a slam dunk there. <laughs> I mean, Thank I, you. How many, how many people can you talk to about what was it like working with Frank Sinatra? <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody left. He's the only one. All right, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. We have time for one more question from each side. Oh, Why? Okay. Well, I have to get out of here? <laughs> Hi, I'm Audrey from Chicago. Yeah, I got fired um, already. So I'm sorry. Um, I write a lot, so I w and I always end up getting writer's block, so I was wondering how you cure writer's block in a way. You don't. Because <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I was just, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of writing something now. And sometimes you just can't write, but it's important that you still sit there with the pen or at your keyboard or whatever it is. Sit there for that length of time that you give to writing every day anyway. Even if you don't write, it'll pass. It's not that big of a deal. You know, if you've got it, if it was there yesterday, it's going to be there tomorrow. It just maybe went someplace else today. You know, so don't, don't really worry that much about it. You know, don't agonize over it because like anything like it's like if you were playing golf. If you're, uh, I don't know if any of you golfers here, I'm, I'm a bad golfer, that's why I know this fact for sure, that if you're nervous, your muscles tense, and which lifts the club up a little bit, so when you swing, you're gonna miss the ball. So that's only because you're tense. You're doing everything else right, but that tension makes everything else a little shortened, and you miss the ball, it's the same thing in writing. If you tense up, it's not gonna work. Relax. Play with the dog. Go for a walk. Because if you're a writer, it's going to come to you. That's why I always thought, Jesus, too bad I could. Tennessee Williams, when he got writer's Brock, he drank a lot. So he became a drunk. You know, and Ernest Hemingway. I was like, why do they do that? You know, just, just relax. It's fine. You know, God knows what he's doing. You know, it's, it's, yeah. but anyway, that's, you know, I hope it works for you. Thank you. Thank you. And John, before we take our last question, I just want to have you talk for a minute. You're not only an actor and a carpenter, you're an environmentalist and an inventor and well, a proponent yeah. for products made in America. So can you yeah, just yeah. kind of talk about, um, you know, the importance of, of sort of being aware and, and um, environmental awareness a little bit? Sure. Um, and how people can make small changes maybe that would that would have larger effects yeah okay sure sure I'm sorry, what's the question um, hi my name is Grace I'm from Geneva Illinois my question is out of all the characters you played or voice which one do you relate to the most <laughs> uh, Captain Cretton it's a, it's a character I did on stage when I was touring Europe. And Captain Cretton, I, I made his the costume. It was a beach towel. That was his cape. <laughs> and, and, and the glasses, I cut the bottoms of Coke bottles out. And I epoxied them onto a frame that I made out of a coat hanger. So it was, I was actually looking through the bottoms of a Coke bottle. And Captain Cretton, every time he got the signal that, he was a superhero, but every time he got the signal that some, somebody's life was in danger or they needed his help, he got up and he ran and always hit the wall because he could never find the window. <laughs> and so he never got out of his apartment. <laughs> so pretty much that whole character was just about him. Clean his glasses and stuff. And, uh -huh. But anyway, that was one of my favorite characters. That's the one that I, I feel the closest to. <laughs> Genius. Thank you. Very good last question. Um, so, in closing... Oh, we got to close now? I'm we have to this. close. I'm sorry. I, I would love Thank to... Thank you for all the good I'm questions. Sure we would all love to sit here forever. Well, Quickly... Chicagoans are smart. Tell us... Yeah, I know. They're really smart, aren't they? Yeah. And they have good food. Yeah, you so. get good pizza. Yeah. It's like a double and, uh, whammy. <laughs> was it Lou Malati's? What's it called? Yeah. What's it called? Lou Was there last night, yeah. Delicious. Ah! Yeah. My first time. But anyway, sorry. 
Um, no, you don't have to apologize to me. I'm just, I'm listening and well, living I'm, I, every... I'm, I'm Catholic, so that's... Okay, then you can apologize all you want. We always <laughs> apologize. Sorry. Sorry, sister. <laughs> well, quickly, do you want to mention anything about, um, about your invention and the... Sure. The, yeah. It was a... It's so interesting. That's why I keep pushing it. <laughs> I uh, actually, with the environmental thing, I grew up in an industrial town in the harbor that I grew up in. My father would tell tales of how when he was a kid, they'd go out there and get clams and oysters. And, but when I was young, it was, you couldn't because it was all polluted. So, and I have this hanging in my office wall, a letter that I had gotten from a congressman at the time in Connecticut, because I had written him a letter about why is it that my father could eat the clams and I can't what happened so it was a it was 1962 so that was my introduction into the environmental movement and I got a real stupid letter back it had nothing to do with my question and that was that's what always reminds me that you know because that's what Washington is you ask them a simple question and you get a convoluted answer back just so they don't have to do anything so, uh, but years later, I was uh, living up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, raising my kids up there, and because uh, I wanted to give them a Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn sort of uh, approach. And uh, a guy down the road from me had a uh, business where he shredded uh, documents, security documents, and he had this mountain of shredded paper. And I said, wait a second got to be something else that anyway because like I said I've always been a tinkerer so I configured the exit port of his shredder with a piece of wood and put different barbell weights on it and depending on how much pressure went against the exit um, motion of the machine the, the papers would crinkle you know just like an accordion and strips of paper accordion and as it turned out long story but it turned out that became a product and you see that product now, if you go into Starbucks, you see the baskets they have, you know, with the products, you look and that's my product. And so we're worldwide. Isn't that so cool? And yeah, thanks. It but, is. But, I, but I, I learned something very, very interesting that you may want to take with you. That, so because of this invention, I got asked to speak at a lot of environmental operations, conventions, this and that. And I learned very quickly that a lot of these people, they're really only concerned about getting their paycheck. So they have to tell you that things are terrible. They have to tell you that the ozone's being destroyed. Because if they said, you know, the things really aren't that bad, well, you're not gonna write them a check. They're not gonna get paid and be able to send their kids to private schools. A lot of these people are bringing down a half a million dollars a year to run these organizations. So pick and choose and really do your homework. And, that's, and, and I mean, I was, I was also asked to do a video. And again, I grew up in the outdoors. I'm a sailor and this, I get it. And I, I get that there are a lot of problems, but this actress and I were on the beach in Santa Monica about to do a video talking about the general condition of the oceans. And, uh, and it just rained and so there was a trickle of water coming off the road across the beach going into the sea and there's a line of seagulls uh, just staring at the water, you know, hoping that you know, a worm would go by or something. <laughs> and it was like a buffet for them. And we're standing there chatting and finally she said, oh, look at those poor ducks. Oh boy. Not in Chicago. Uh, Nobody would make that mistake here, right? Yeah. But is she, I, I said, what are you talking, she pointed, and there were seagulls. So here's this well-known actress about to go on a video talking about the state of the ocean, and she didn't know the difference between a duck and a seagull. <laughs> so, but yet, so I've been involved in that. I sold the company, and, but now it's worldwide, and it replaces styrofoam. It's amazing. Well, I mean, you have such an inventive mind. You bring it to your characters. You bring it to your life. And we're also appreciative to have gotten to spend this hour with you. Thank you, John. I, and I got to go now? Well, you can stay with my next can, guest. Can I just come but... over to your houses? <laughs> <laughs> just, Guys, go downstairs. 
You can talk to John for a little bit. He'll be here for a few more hours today. And one more big round of applause, John Ratzenberger! Thank you. Thank you. WDW Tiki Room with Kristen and Al John. Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com. Hope you enjoyed our special edition podcast of John Ratzenberger's panel from C2E2. The Chicago Arts and Entertainment Expo happens every single year, and we're so happy to be covering it for you. Thank you so much to our friends at Pop for making it happen. In the meantime, don't forget to follow Kristen and myself at WDW Tiki Room on Sorcerer Radio, www.tkroom.com for all the on-demand podcasts you can listen to. Subscribe to our feed there at www.tkroom.com. Follow us on Twitter there on Room, Facebook, Twitter. You can follow Kristen for all great food-related news at diningatdisney.com. She also has a Twitter. She's got her podcast on iTunes. You want to check that out. And the brand new book, don't forget, the Epcot Dining Guide is out. The ebook is out. So you can pick that up right now. Just visit her website at diningatdisney.com. And for more great geekery regarding Star Wars, Marvel, Disney Parks, and the Disney films, great site for pop culture and more, check out jedimousketeer.com. On behalf of Kristen, my name's Al John, and we'll see you real soon. This podcast is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its holdings and is intended for entertainment purposes. Looking for some fun on Facebook with fellow Disney fans? Then you need to join the Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone. Fun Zone! The Fun Zone is an exclusive online gathering place where young and old alike can come and share their love of all things Disney in a family-friendly atmosphere. The Fun Zone will also be your place for exclusive downloads, images, giveaways, and more. Join us online by going to Facebook.com and searching for Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone. Fun Zone! That's the Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone, part of Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. If you ever believed Captain America was on the U.S. Olympic soccer team, if you ever thought that the Winter Soldier was that brace yourselves guy on the internet, and if you've ever wondered just what would a raccoon do with a machine gun, then don't let another week pass you by without tuning in to Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mighty Marvel Geeks is your show about all things Marvel, with news, rumors, commentary, and interviews, as well as our weekly recommendations on what to pick up on New Comic Book Day. Yes! We're just like Kevin Bacon. That's Mighty Marvel Geeks, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week, I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.